Peter Falk, the character Lieutenant Columbo, and Universal Studios, and the NBC Network, all owe Patrick McGowan a deep debt. He, as much as anybody else that I could name, is responsible for the success of Columbo. Welcome to Free For All, the podcast that celebrates the magnificent 1967 TV show, The Prisoner. I'm Kai Ross. And I'm Chris Bainbridge. Welcome to this special episode. We're back. We're back in a new room. This one has special features. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Reverb. Yeah, we're in a different, different studio today. And uh, I was very kindly given a tour. And um, it has this lovely little feature. So I'll introduce Kai Ross. Yeah, we've inherited Steve Wright's afternoon posse. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>, friend. How are you doing? <laughs> Excellent. We can use it every time I do a joke that goes flat. Yeah. Well, yeah, and here we are to discuss, I guess... I try, it's been such a long time since I've seen you. Anyway, I mean, oh. I'm trying to think of any any prisoner things that we missed. Did you catch the the hammer into anvil? Yes, episode which the, this network put on the dedication to Tim Benos. Yes, I mean it was just it was a lovely um, uh, memorial to him. And mm. there was a I don't know if you saw this, uh, listeners, but uh, is it still on? But have gone by now on the network side. Yeah, last time I checked, it was. It's, if you can find it, it's just wonderful. There's a lovely tribute from Catherine McGowan as well at the beginning. They broadcast it uh, from a print, wasn't it? From yes. the uh, from 1976, wasn't the original? Yeah. But they had the adverts. The original adverts, in, which they is had amazing. The, the best of Cat Stevens, available now on records <laughs> and cassettes. K-Tal. This absolutely love, and also because these things that we've missed mm. since we saw them, even when they put them on the uh, the Legend Channel, mm. and it still pops up now. It's kind of on this kind of nebulous repeat syndicate on the Legend Channel. Bless them. What's lovely now, after the kind of strangeness that was BritBox, Mm. we now have ITVX. Is it on ITVX? It's on ITVX. I've only just literally, last night I discovered that, because you couldn't get it on Sky for a while. Mm. Uh, but now I found it, so we watched that uh, thing with Guy Pearce and Damian Lewis. Yes. I I was, almost my second query was, is this going to, the prison get me on here? Well, it's, um, I, I was looking through uh, ITVX, and there it was. Has it got all the ITC stuff on there? Some, it's got some. It hasn't got all of them. I think Randall and Hotkirk's on there. But, Man yeah. in a suitcase? I didn't look, to be honest. The thing is, I've already got those on there uh. anyway, so it's not something I look for. But, of course, I always look on there. Yeah. But isn't it lovely that now we have you know, the prisoners available... It's been on Legend. It's been repeated on uh, ITVX. Yeah, and it's uh, getting it's kind of more sharp, traction again, sharper and more colourful with each mm. kind of time it's uh, it's reintroduced. But also that lovely hammer into anvil, Vaughn. You actually got the bumpers. Yes, yes. <laughs> with it with a penny farthing spinning out, which I haven't really seen since '92. Yes, it was yeah. kind of just oh, in their just, original context. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was wonderful. Because even even the VHSs removed them, didn't they? Yes. The um, Channel 4 show, when I remember, in, in 92 had them. Yeah, because that was, that was the point where you could, I, I can still picture that when I you paused it, obviously, yeah. hovering by the video to sort of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so when you watched it back again, I think at one point I even tried to to pause it in the middle of it yeah. and then unpause it so in the middle the right. of the second one. Very clever. <laughs> so I bet that didn't work, though. It didn't work no, at all, no. Never <laughs> but I still remember the, uh, the noble intent. No, I think that's, that's, that's it with the... Um, no, I can't think of anything else. So today we're going to look at McGowan's work on Columbo. Exactly, yeah. Well, his post-prisoner life. I mean, I think... I mean, another thing that just around Christmas, which is exactly the right time to watch it, uh, <laughs> I became aware of Kings and Desperate Men. Yes. And you, bless you, sent me uh, the the link on YouTube. So if you want to watch this, it's, it's free on YouTube. I really enjoyed it. It's quite a good film. There's like shades of Die Hard in there, isn't there? Well, apparently he sued, well, tried to uh, sue the makers of Die Hard because they reckon they did the whole thing wholesale, including the Christmas setting. Mm. I think he, Alexis kind of invented the Christmas setting. Maybe that was why his uh, lawsuit crumbled like uh, <laughs> pastry. Because after The Prisoner, obviously he made Ice Station Zebra, didn't he? Or Zebra, jewelry, depending on where you're from. But um, in terms of his kind of film career, I think probably the biggest standout between The Prisoner and the first episode uh, by Dawn's Early Light of Columbo was Mary Queen of Scots, yeah, uh, in which he played James Stewart. Now, there's a, a lovely link to that film in this episode, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Which we'll talk about <laughs> later on. So he went to America, as, we, as we've already covered. Yeah, he either went to America to as a natural progression of uh, any British star's mm. uh, kind of career path at the time, or he fled, depend, <laughs> depending on the legend. <laughs> on your point of view. Yeah. <laughs> I think you would like to have thought that he, was, he, that he fled. Anyway, that's a, it's a better story, anyway. But um, it, it's a, a slightly bittersweet tale, the kind of post-prisoner thing, because, yeah. of course, he was at the apex of his, of his popularity when mm. he made The Prisoner. Apex of his, of his fame, he was, of his pay, mm. he was colossal. Yes, and you kind of think, well, he's going to. I mean, Roger Moore would be his 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 counterpoint. But Roger Moore did become a huge film star. Yes, I mean, well, no, actually, that was kind of unfair. I was going to say, arguably, just playing the one part. But then, <laughs> kind of, actually, no, you think of North Sea Hijack, the Shout of the Devil. He, he, had, he had a good. Yeah, he, he had was, an interesting. He would never escape. That was his defining role, though. Wasn't well, of it? course, but he he went on to have a big and became a big movie star. Mm. McGoon. Didn't. And he doesn't do a lot between 1968 and 1974. No. Like I say, Mary Queen of Scots and a few other films that he did, but nothing really uh, groundbreaking or no. well-known, which is a shame, really. It, it, it was a little bit. I think he was sort of kind of floundering a bit mm. at the time when he met his other ally. Mm. His, I think he find, And I, I kind of... I kind of I think that he this relationship between Falk and Patrick McGoon may be the best relationship he ever had. I think I've never mm. when you read about him, you've never met two people who utterly adored each other <laughs> and completely respected each other. Yeah. Neither of them said a single bad word against the yeah. other and, and would always rally to the other one's defence when somebody else because of course the other thing was they were both getting harangued mm. by producers and yeah, writers yeah. and other people saying, oh, I can't work with this maniac oh no, no he's a genius <laughs> <laughs> oh no he's a genius so it's uh, and I, th- I think it was an incredibly fruitful relationship yeah. we said in the past that he, he worked well as, a, as a, either with, with a creative partner or with a group of creative partners 
But I don't think he ever had one like Peter Falk. No. I think it, it, it's it's almost a shame that they didn't just become a two-man... Well, I suppose, I mean, the, the, the things that they would have had in common, first of all, is both New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. I know McGowan was only in New York for He's very... He's a native New Yorker. But he, he was, wasn't he? He was yeah, a native yeah, New yeah. Yorker. I know he didn't spend a great deal of time there as a, as a child, but that's where he was born, in New York, uh, as was Falk. Yeah, um, I mean, with I mean, Falk was a year older, but mm. they were roughly the same age, both New Yorkers. Yes. Clearly both had a love of the theatre. Yes. Because, as you know, and, and, and the listeners who've watched Columbo, and if, if you haven't, watch it because you're in for a treat. Oh, God, I think, yeah. I think the first seven seasons or six seasons are on Amazon for free. Uh, well, yeah, you can watch, watch with adverts. Well, with well, adverts, but yeah. they're still for free. Yeah, that's what you do still anyway. Still for free. Um, and I think on Apple TV as well, the first couple of seasons are on there. Yes. But even so, I mean, if you watch an episode of Columbo, it lends itself brilliantly to the stage because most of them are duologues. Yeah. Well, the, the, the first one, Prescription Murder, was a play. It, exactly, yeah. Levison uh, and Link, like, the creators. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think, I think Dirk Benedict... A.K.A. Face. He did. He did uh, play on the stage play. Called, he, which came, came to the didn't he? He did. I used to love Face. <laughs> I don't know why, I, and I love Columbo. How, and it was in it about two miles from my house. Why didn't I go and see that? <laughs> but funnily enough, he wasn't the only actor to play Columbo. No, it's a bit like Bond. Ah, yes. Bob Holness, I think you'll find. <laughs> God. Yes, that's actually true, isn't it? Bob Holness played James Bond in, on radio. In South Africa, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Who's uh, the other guy? Barry? Uh, yeah, Barry Nelson. Barry Nelson! Yes. <laughs> a nice Kubrick link there. Yeah, he was um, <laughs> <laughs> He was uh, the first screen Bond, wasn't he? On or TV. TV. Yeah. Jimmy Bond. Oh, God. Later to be played by Woody Allen. Yes, in, in uh, Casino. Yeah, we'll run amok. Or if we're tired, we'll can, walk amok. Can you name any, any of the other actors who've played... Columbo on screen. Oh, uh, no. So you got Bert Freed in 1960 and Thomas Mitchell in 1962. When was Bert Freed? I didn't know they caught him. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> I promise we won't use that. <laughs> um, Thomas Mitchell in 1962, but Thomas, of course... Thomas Mitchell? Thomas Mitchell played mm. um, Columbo in 62, and then Peter Falk took the role on... In 1968. Yes, yes. So about the same time as The Prisoner was showing in the UK. Yeah, yeah. I've got to be honest, I think... Uh, uh, well, I'd, I'd stick Prisoner of the Prisoner as, as my number one. Just, I can't, how could I not now? But <laughs> I'd, number two probably very may well be Columbo. Mm. I, I mean, I just utterly, utterly, utterly adore it. But I the th- reason you adore it is because of Peter Falk. yes. And it's also, I watched one recently with Robert Culp. Robert Culp was one of these guys who was the baddie about three or four times, I think four times, mm. um, or at least three. And there's one where he's playing a sort of a very, he's got a high-tech detective agency, but he's the one who's accidentally killed her uh, and folk sniffing around, and uh, he recognises how good he is. And he basically offers him a job to, you know, to get him off his back, yeah. but also because he, he really is a genuinely good detective. And it's kind of, I'll pay you sort of like three times what you're getting now. And he's just not the slightest bit interested. I just like catching. You know, he, 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 it's like he never gets a promotion. Mm. He's a lieutenant when he starts, and then when he dies, he's a lieutenant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that's zero ambition. Maybe just, yeah, maybe he's just happy. But isn't that, yeah, that's the reason why you love him. Yeah. Because he's got the, all he wants to do is this. Occasionally eat a boiled egg, mm. have some chili, 
maybe go home to his wife and his vast family. But he has absolutely no... But he just loves catching baddies. Yeah. That's all. And just there's something so sim- simple about that. And you're watching all these other people, often kind of high-fluting, condescending, sort of high flyers, yeah. just crumble. And it's like, I, I, I want to be you. I, you really, really identify with him, I think. And I think everyone does, because no one wants to be the the antagonist in these things. Everybody wants to be Columbo at their heart, I think. It's funny because he uses a form of restorative justice mm. in his approach. Yeah. He gets them to talk. He he, throw, you know, he he asks questions, but he lets them kind of dig their own graves to a certain <laughs> yeah, extent, yeah, yeah. doesn't he? He lets them talk. And, of course, sometimes the ego gets the better of them or they slip up. And But he's so unassuming. He's so... I mean, I'm a newcomer. Yeah. Colombo, which is quite nice because you're, you know, you've watched it for years. Yeah. So I can offer you something a bit ob- objective. Of course you can. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just think he is. I'm not going to say an everyman like number six. He's this unassuming, shabby character who just pops up, and everyone has a look of disdain when they see him. Yeah. And it happens in the first episode by Dawn's Only Light, like first episode that Magoon was in, where he sees him. On the field, yeah. After the uh, the cannons exploded, and he's like, you know, he's he's quite off with him, isn't he? He's, Who are you? Get out of here, kind of thing. Doesn't ex- he's not a policeman in the conventional sense. No, and that's I think that's his great gift is that he he's the kind of person most people would step over, mm. and they don't even notice him. Mm. And I think he's he, over time he's worked out that's that's an absolute miraculous gift to have. Mm. And people, people underestimate him then. Exactly, and it's always mm. always better to be sort of underestimated and over deliver. Yeah. Than the opposite. The first one they did was a TV movie, wasn't it, called Prescription Murder, uh, with Gene Barry. Yes. Who was also an ITC stalwart, yes. wasn't he, with The Adventurer? That's right, yes. Uh, and in the start of the War of the Worlds, where he wears yes. the highest-waisted trousers <laughs> I've ever seen in my entire life, I don't think. Uh, even Simon Cowell would look askance. <laughs> and then there was a three-year gap, wasn't there, until the first uh, Columbo yeah, it was part of a, a kind of murder mystery tr- um, thing. That What was the one with Rock Hudson? Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Miller or something. I'm sure I remember something like this on ITV, Murder, Mystery and Suspense. Mm, yes. And it was something like that the in Hammer, America. The Hammer House of Mystery. Yeah, yeah, it was all sort of... Um, you'd, you'd have Columbo one week mm. and then the next week you'd have something else, maybe McLeod mm. with Dennis Weaver. Um, and then the next week it would be something else. So it wasn't just like a, a every week it's it's Columbo. There were mm. there were sort of if, every time you used to see them in the Radio Times, it would be TVM <laughs> Columbo. This it was, so they were proper movies, yeah, but TV movies. If you there's obviously two books. Uh, there's the Columbo file, uh, which is absolutely wonderful, and uh, that's uh, Mark Mark Davisiak Davisiak, who, who who may be cropping up later. Yes. And then there's a more recent one called Shooting Columbo. Now Back. that's the one I've been listening to. Yes, right? on an audio book, I've been listening to it in the in the car quite a lot. Yeah, that's and fascinating. That, it's fact the, the the back the backstory to how these and the, and the, the kind of the locking of antlers. Yes between everyone trying to make these things. And I had no idea just how much they cost. It was a challenge to make Columbo yeah. as soon as it became successful. Because how many times we talked in The Prisoner about directors coming on the set and going, right, darling, what we mm. need to do is to, I'm going to try and establish this shot and then McGowan just fires them because, yeah. no, 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 we should have made... <laughs> in the time it's taken you to try and frame this scene, we should yeah. have shot half the episode. Yeah. Time, you know, time is money, time yeah. is money. Peter Falk. The opposite of that. Yeah. People wanted take after take after take after take, and people just drove people mad. Yeah. 
and, he, and at the end of every season, they sort of threatened to fire him. They realised they couldn't, and there was this great battle of wills. And it was just absolutely wonderful. Because, again, it, it was almost like his Columbo guys, mm. this little actor, sort of, uh, you know, but he realised he had them. Mm. He can't make this without me. <laughs> what I quite like about is the interplay between McGowan and Falk. There's a lovely chemistry between them. From the off. Yeah, and, and it's a pity they didn't know each other before because I could have seen Falk turning up yeah. as a number two and having that interval. Imagine Falk as number two doing something like Once Upon a Time. Oh. It, I know, obviously, it, in an alternate reality. Yeah. But that, that kind of, uh, the way they bounce off each other, I think Magoon would have had him in. He would have been a number two if, if the prisoner had... Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't the first choice. Mm. Um, and this is the thing, we're talking about sort of, for, well, six years, aren't mm. we, after The Prisoner had finished. Mm. He hadn't really become this big movie star. So by the time he got cast in this, he wasn't really... There was a... Patrick... M- oh, M- oh, the guy from... Uh, wasn't he in Secret Agent? Yeah. It wasn't like, uh, oh, my God, we've got to get him. Yeah. He was... Uh, he was, And he was the sort of thing, the third choice. Ed Asner was supposed to play it, mm. a.k.a. Santa from Elf. Yes. <laughs> and... Um, he, I think he got tired of it. took too long. So they thought, oh, we need somebody else. What about this Patrick McGowan? There are career-defining roles, and this is Falk's career-defining role. Nobody else could have played Columbo. No. It wouldn't have been a success. It's no. like Mr. Spock, Leonard Nimoy. Nobody mm. else could have played that part. No. And it's the same with Falk. You can't imagine anybody else playing that part. It wouldn't have been successful without that actor yes. playing that role. And you can see, as, the, as, it, as it progresses, it's strange watching the first one. It's like watching an early episode of The Simpsons. And you yeah. think, oh, my God, I can't watch this. Yeah. Uh, but when you watch Prescription Murder, it's sort of, he isn't shabby. Because the character's not fully formed, is no, it? The, the actors have got to find that time to form the and, characters. And it always happens when you have, um, like, Steed, McNee, mm. you know, they... they, they, they they eventually almost like become the the character becomes them, yeah. And there's this sort of this, which this this lends more argument to the McGowan as number six theory, yeah. Because number six as a character goes in fully formed, yes. There's there's no kind of progression of character. He is from day one as he is for, in Arrival as he is in Fallout. The, the, the character is not developing. He doesn't learn nothing. No. Well, as Falk does, it's, you know, I've come to this role, I'm going to start, and over the years, well, within quite, no, it wasn't even the years, it was quite a short space of time, wasn't it, that he starts to flesh out this character. Yeah. Gives him the idiosyncrasies, the costume, you know. That was it. The shoes. Yeah, the, yeah, the coat. That was his coat. I love the fact when you get to, now you see him. Oh, yes. With Jack Cassidy, that he has this new coat and he's just desperately trying <laughs> to get rid of it and hide it, isn't My he? My wife bought me a new coat. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's skip forward to 1974 then. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I mean, as I was saying, he's uh, he's he's not he's not a superstar. As his star is basically in the decline, mm. and he gets this rather wonderful part. Columbo is in this is its fourth season, isn't it? Yeah, and it was big. It was like you know, was it Sunday night TV? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think McGowan was urged to take this because mm. this this is going to this is you get on this show, you're going to go yeah. up and up and up. This is the one to be on. Yeah. Uh, and he also, because he was a writer, he, he was very uh, well, say, famous, possibly notorious, for taking his scripts and completely rewriting mm. it, which, again, would have driven the producers out of their minds. But Peter Falk would have loved that. Mm. Uh, and I think... And do you know what I'm saying? I've got something from uh, Shooting Columbo. Yes. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is what Peter Falk was saying in McGurn. I'm probably not going to be able to resist doing an impression. <laughs> I'm gonna, as long as it's legible. 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll probably say my normal voice and I'm going to blend into Peter okay. Falk. Not deliberately, it's just because it's the way it's going yeah. to happen. Uh, I remember the first time <laughs> I walked on the set and we started rehearsing. I was so aware of the presence of this other actor. He commanded your attention. He was formidable. You were vividly aware of him. That turns an ordinary encounter into something electric, something that has tension. I was aware of the first time he opened his mouth. I was surprised by it and taken off guard by it, but I was delighted by it. Uh, oh, please, please, please. I was, I was actually, uh, I wasn't very impressed by that. That could have been anyone. Well, Audible will be ringing. <laughs> 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 to say, I think you've used that quote without permission. <laughs> but what, what I quite like about By Dawn's Early Light is that it's Magoo and is playing a role. He's, he's not directing. He's no. not writing. He's been given the script, he's interpreted it, and he's playing a role, something, I mean, there's an authority figure, which he's used to playing, but he's aged up as well, he's given this, you know, they've added another 10, 15 years onto him. Yeah. With the hair and uh, a little bit of... The the silvery hair. Latex. It's a performance like nothing he's ever done before. No, exactly. If you go back to Brand, a lot of his performances were, were... Kind of a variation on that mm. because he always had that sort of slightly explosive, you know, potential yeah. about him, uh, but, which isn't here. And weirdly, it calls back a little bit more to John Drake. Yes, John Drake when he does a, his disguises was far, yeah, but he was all far more sort of contained, mm. very self assured, all that kind of stuff. Number six was kind of like pacing the room like a yeah. jaguar. Yeah, this is apt, he's a very withdrawn character. Or just very still, a bit like sort of Gary Oldman in Tinker Taylor, just, just moves with his eyes. Yes. And because of that, it's incredibly effective. I suppose there is a bit of Smiley in that character, isn't it? And this is before the Alec Guinness. Oh, wouldn't he have made a good Smiley? He would. Oh. But just for, as a quick pricey, um the episode revolves around the uh, murder mm. of a, well, he's like a school governor, isn't he? This is a military school in America, like West Point. Yeah. And it's losing money, so the governors are going to shut it down and turn it into a like, co-ed like, school, aren't they? Yeah, which horrifies. Horrifies McGowan. Uh, yeah. Over my dead body. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he orchestrates uh, a murder involving a cannon, doesn't he, that puts plastic explosives yeah, in it? Yeah, I really remember, I vividly remember this as yeah. a kid, Yeah, seeing this, because it, it takes forever. It, this, it, they really pace it well. Yes, they do. Uh, and there's he sort of stuffs some cotton in there. So whoever's going to... The next person... He puts a rag in, doesn't he? So they're going to blame the cleaning cadet. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and it's and it's McGoon doing it. And then, of course, up pops Columbo. And and he's very off with him. Yes. You know, he does... Again, it's this unassuming... He's like, who's that man? Get him out of here. And he's like, oh, that's the... the that's the detective in charge of the investigation. What? <laughs> that man... <laughs> It's nice to see him actually playing an American as well. But mm. it's, I think it's the first time I saw him actually playing an, an American. Well, his well, he, 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 well apart from John Drake when he started... McGowan has a very interesting relationship with the American accent. It, it's, <laughs> he does that, doesn't yeah, he? He, just, he? He has this very... Yeah, but the thing is, and, and an American friend of mine told me this, is that America is so full of diverse accents... Yeah, you know, and no matter where you go, and it's I think it's far easier for a Brit or someone who has a British kind of you know uh, di- uh, speaks British dialect uh, easier for them to imitate an American accent mm. than it would be for a, uh, an American to imitate an English accent or a British yes. accent or an RP accent because there's so much diversity you can get away with it in America. That's what I've been told. Yeah, but we listen to him and we can just hear number six. Oh, yeah, doing this. 
right, right. It's all, it's all, it's a lot. Most most of this character is on that sort of very sort of mumbly register of. Yeah. Um, but it is. I wouldn't say sub, is subdued the right word. It's it's very underplayed, I, isn't it? I, just with, withdrawn. Yeah. His his his, his, like his entire character is basically pulled into the center of his head. Yeah. And he, and uh, but I suppose it's a natural way of playing it because he's he's murdered somebody and he's got a horrible feeling this guy might be onto him. So he's kind of cold and calculating. But he, he like a lot of the the potential, a lot of the murderers on on um, Columbo will just kind of lose it a little bit. He, he doesn't lose it, but I think he's, he realises he's up against an adversary. <laughs> Echoing a lot of the, what, the imagery that we've had in mm. The Prisoner, there's a brilliant uh, shot. It's almost too obvious, but it, it's, it's lovely when they're both standing on a black and white check floor. <laughs> yes, like, like, yes. Like things, it's a courtyard, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, the, the way the director pulls back is like, oh, I think I may have a visual metaphor here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, it's, it's, but, it, but somehow because it's, a, it's almost like a prisoner reference. Mm. And speaking of prisoner references, should we move on to the next? Yeah, this is when the meat is. Yeah. Um, this is a really interesting episode if you're a prisoner fan. Yes. And, it's and, a, and, a, and a Columbo fan. And a Columbo fan. But it, oh, the prisoner, there's two main prisoner connections which have been done to death there are actually more mm. if you, if you have a if you keep your eyes open uh, and they're quite subtle at times so this is identity crisis and this is season 5 episode 3 so it's about a year yes. after by dawn's early light and, th- and this would have been at the absolute zenith i think of colombo's popularity as well mm. so this and i think it was it was chosen as the season opener I was like, oh, this is a good, strong one. So this is this is a, and also McGowan didn't just write this one; he directed as well. Yeah. So the synopsis is that it all revolves around spies and the CIA, doesn't it? And yes. uh, the murder of Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> <laughs> some, <laughs> some rather dubious uh, disguises. There's a lot of Danger Man and the Prisoner in this episode, yeah. and it's McGowan going back to what he's good at and what he knows, and maybe a nod and a wink to the audience. Yes. To say, yeah. Oh, there's lots of nodding. I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me. I'm Patrick McGowan. You may remember me from... It's that kind of thing, yeah. isn't it? He's throwing all those spy tropes in, you know, and of course, yeah, I don't want, I don't want to get to the meat of it yet because there's, there's so much. I've got so many notes on this. I watched this twice because it was like, I was like, yeah, I know, it's it's a, it's a feast. Yeah. I'm still stuck on the, the murder of Leslie Nielsen, which sounds like some wonderful, <laughs> strange, tragicomic novel. There's, there's some weird... I mean, I suppose it's... A, obviously, it's a product of its time, isn't it? But, you know, there's, like, the, the moment, the scene with Leslie Nielsen and the bellboy mm. with, like, the strangest haircut. I know. My God. <laughs> but I suppose, again, product of the time, Product isn't of the it? time, as were his... Uh, the collars on his shirt. I mean, if yeah. he ran at a decent sort of pace, he'd take off in that. But, you know when he's in the hotel room and he's like checking for bugs. Yeah, it just reminded me of four in a bed. Have you seen four in a bed? Yeah. They're all there running. Up. Oh, it's dust. <laughs> oh, there's a hair on the bed. It was almost like Leslie Nielsen was doing four in a bed. <laughs> I'm going to score this one too. <laughs> but the full English breakfast ten. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's everybody correctly points out. McGowan says, "Be seeing you." Mm. Quite a few times in the yes, episode, yeah. and it gets everyone kind of points at this as the, you know, the prisoner did you, nods. Did you it? see that? Yeah, I thought you said be seeing you. And of course, the jacket. We but we know all that. Mm. But you've dug a little deeper, haven't you? We have. But there's a lovely scene where, where Columba goes to Nelson Brenner, played by McGowan's opulent house, yes. and uh, very open plan. He's yeah, he's having a look round, having a nosy, and there's a, there's a little bit of, of plots 
device where there's a pre-Photoshop picture of McGowan with a receding hairline, which is really badly done. <laughs> but to be fair, they didn't have Photoshop back then, did they? But some of the other photos, have you noticed the other photos on the wall? Yes, so yes. The one is the, one of the publicity photos from Mary Queen of Scots. <laughs> I didn't see that one, no. Yeah, it's where he's playing James Stewart. You've got, it's better to watch it on something like Amazon, where you're getting it high def. Yeah. Because you can see everything. It's a moment where he's in his study yeah. and Columbo is looking at the pictures on the wall and he says, Distinguished Achievement Award. And when you hear the words Distinguished Achievement Award, have a look at the top right-hand corner of the, of the wall and you'll see a picture of McGowan, a publicity photo, f- sat in the Lotus 7 <laughs> from the prisoner. Yeah. So what are we saying here? Is this... I mean, obviously he's the director... And and he's like, I need some props, I need some, I'll get my own, I'll put them on the wall. And so he's done that, but he's actually, is that a little bit of a sly nod to prisoner fans to say, this is a spy, number six was a spy, you know, (laughs) tapping the nose. I I think it's it's just riddled with it. But Mm. it's it's what what I find interesting is that, what what is this saying about, because there's always about this weird relationship with the prisoner Mm. growing up, he he rarely ever spoke about it. Mm. And you kind of get that worry, that sort of, that, that sort of feeling. Is, did he realise what he'd done? Was he proud of it? Was he sort of, oh, I may have fluffed the ending. Did, did he, did he, was he, did he realise how well it had gone down? Suddenly, what are we talking about? Five, seven, seven years later, he's kind of revisiting it. Mm. You don't sort of throw in references to stuff like that without thinking people are going not, to get this. Not at the time. It's an odd one, isn't it? It's an odd one to do that. Yeah, but to do callbacks to your own show, I think, I think. Su- suggests a, a little bit of well-earned pride. Or maybe we could go on the Da Vinci Code style thing here. Maybe more of the message of the prisoner is in his following work. Ah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not. Oh. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't That'd know, be great. It wouldn't be like the Da Vinci Code, McGowan, an actor who kind of the answers to this series are spread out through all his performances. The threads. It culminates in Braveheart where he's... Uh, <laughs> Or was it, uh, no, what was it when he plays Billy Bones in uh, Treasure Planet? Was it Treasure Planet? Whatever Treasure it was. Planet, which is all, uh, and that tells you exactly where the Ark of the Covenant is buried. Yes, I mean, yes. Yeah, so a lot of people pointed out he wears a similar jacket with the white piping. Yes, but what's quite nice as well, he wears a badge. Yeah. <laughs> Something else that's not really picked up on much is he wears a badge about the same size as the prisoner, uh, the village badges, at the same part of the lapel mm. which is a plot point yes so I, I wonder whether Magoon, you know they call them buttons don't they in mm. America uh, we call them badges and he goes to the fun fair with yes. Leslie Nielsen and they have a, a woman with a f- photograph don't yes. they? and uh, she processes them and turns them into badges yeah, yeah. slash buttons and of course that's part of the, that's one of the conceits isn't well, it that's just one of the that badge is the same size as the prisoner badges Ah. Oh. So is that intentional as well? I, th- I, th- I do you know. I, I really think so. I think he he spent a lot of time. He got. The, I think he, he when he, once he was tasked with mm. directing it as well, he realised he had a, a bit more power. Mm. In fact, I think this was probably the f- this might well have been the first time he was gifted mm. quite a lot of power since the prisoner. Mm. That there's a vast amount of money thrown at this, but he doesn't have to. He can direct and act. Yeah. Without the the needless pressures of television production, which he had on him. Yeah, he's going back to, well, I suppose the Danger Man, 
kind of era where he has that kind of creative element that he can explore these characters in Drake's disguises and you know yeah, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. It's he he can do that again. But I think it's I think he took his sweet time with this because he mm. realised he could, and apparently that that infuriated everybody. <laughs> um, I think he I think he quite liked infuriating people. Apparently, Patrick, people are infuriated with you. God. Yeah. <laughs> another another prisoner connection. It, depending on how on how you interpret this, is that in Dawn's Early Light, he plays that part in a very his delivery. His his lines are not a traditional Magoon delivery. Yes, that kind of staggered, yeah, very very emphasis careful. at the wrong point yes. kind of things. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Nelson Brenner, oh my god, the same kind of intonation and delivery as Number Six's character. Oh, I, I, do you know what? Some of his intonation in this is off the charts. Hmm. I know. He said, yeah. <laughs> what was that one? You said, well, you'll have to put it up on, on Twitter when, yeah. when this goes out. The, you said, <laughs> Did you hear a chime? Yes, yes. Is that yes, the guy yeah. was doing it next to it? <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear this? Did you kind of talk? Again, that's another person reference, isn't it? The chimes. Yes, the chimes. Yes, of course. I mean, this I mean, I think this is almost... It's intentional. It's a tribute oh, show it's, episode. It's, there's too many coincidences for it to be not to be. Precisely. I don't, I don't think any of them are coincidences. Mm. I love the fact that it shows that he respects the prisoner, his mm. own creation, enough to, to start sort of calling back to it. Mm. And I think, you know, it's not, so, it's not something that he wants to run away from anymore. He's kind of embracing it. Yeah. As you say, he's, he's playing a spy. And he, yeah. he, he could have easily gone, well, I, I'm going to play a spy, but nothing like all these other ones. He's kind of, no, 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 I'm playing a spy, and I'm gonna re- this is going to remind everybody of what I played in the past at, at my height. He's, he's having, he has tremendous fun with this. Mm. They are properly dicking about, the pair of them, <laughs> when they're just trying to sort of, I'm sure there's some of the line readings, it's almost... He's got to be trying to make Peter Falk laugh. Well, there's another connection, though. Come on. There's another connection. As you go back to Arrival, the shopkeeper, yes. our old friend Dennis... Yes. Uh, Help yourself to a pineapple. <laughs> Dennis Shaw. Dennis Shaw. But before... That language that is spoken in The Prisoner doesn't exist. It's a made-up language, isn't it? And that happens here in this episode as well. Mm. And it comes across as, like, by today's standards, <laughs> like a little bit racist. <laughs> um, but... McGowan's kind of going, and these waiters are going, yeah, okay. <laughs> They're all probably native English speakers anyway, and just go, he's off again. <laughs> just nod. I think he's from England. But McGowan seemed to love creating. He loved language. Yes. He loved the, the, the flow, the rhythm of language, which we see in The Prisoner when he has that opportunity to create this language that he kind of creates. I mean, some people may see this as, slight, like I say, slightly racist, but I'm going to argue that it isn't. I'm going to argue that it's something in an Asian style that he is creating mm. based on his love of the, of the rhythm. Of the, no- of the noise of language. Yeah. Yeah. Was, that's... It's something that sounds kind of Asian, yeah. but isn't. <laughs> <laughs> but we are still at a time, 1975, aren't we, where... You know that would have been allowed on on television. Yes, it's a, it's a, there. Are, actually, to be honest, there aren't that many. But yeah, you you watch anything from the seventies, mm. and you're going to get a sort of collar loosening. Ooh, yeah. I hope nobody else is watching. By me today's watch this. standards, yeah. But uh, well, there's some weird delivery. I mean, one of the lines he says, "Do you like?" I, I, I'm paraphrasing. Do you like my sound system? <laughs> it's hydrophonic. What? The, <laughs> what? <laughs> Has the speakers floating on water? What's hydrophonic? Is it water cooled? <laughs> or, or is he just? Is he trying to show to Colombo that he's? Uh, is he showing off by oh, it, making it, up something that? 
I think he's just kind of he's, he's throwing up his peacock feathers, isn't he? Yeah. Because the di- I mean the difference in in performance between this one and by Dawn's Early Light, I mean they're two separate actors. Yes. Because this one kind of knows he can't get caught, mm. and he kind of fl- splashes that around. He's got that confidence and yeah. cocksureness. Whereas um, in by Dawn's Early Light, he's kind of please don't catch me. Yeah. Oh, I think he might. Oh no! Whereas uh, this guy is like, even if even if I confessed, there's nothing you can do about this. Yeah. I outrank you because the ending is very, it's left, isn't it? It's it's a little flat because Magoo. I mean, Columbo has the satisfaction. Spoilers, by the way. But to be fair, you've had fifty years. <laughs> um, near enough. Um, yeah, oh, forty-eight years. He has I was a, born in seventy-five. Sorry, he has the satisfaction of solving the case mm. but he doesn't get his man yes because he's he's yeah as I he's say, untouchable he's, yeah he's he is untouchable and also also the kind of the gotcha i love that peter falk always called them the pop you kind of have the pop yeah um isn't it's not like oh i can't well you'd have to say it's something about the uh it's almost a play on the Chimes of Big Ben. Of the clock is the wrong time because they haven't put the hour forward or something yes. like that. It's, it's yeah, there's another connection. Again, that's one yeah. line, that one. <laughs> you can have that one. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's not it, a, a brilliant spy like McGowan in this character would have mm. been able to just kind of bat that away quickly. It's, mm. There's no sort of, oh, he's got me. Yeah. So it's interesting. But I think a lot of this was to do with something that um, was said in Shooting Columbo that, that McGowan by now a very big drinking pal of yeah. folks. <laughs> I think Rupert Booth in his book about McGowan and talk tells lovely tales of them just falling in and out of bars. Yeah. Um, it was McGowan who was, actually, it says in the book, McGowan suggested that Columbo was such a vivid character that he didn't need to be tied to any formula. Hmm. So he was, I think, the one sort of saying, you know, you don't need, it's, you don't have to have this thing at the end of every hmm. episode. You know, you can sort of, and that comes up very much so in the next one, which McGowan isn't in, but he directed, which is Last Salute to the Commodore, mm-hmm. which is a very contentious episode because I think he does exactly what McGowan suggested. The whole thing comes off the rails. Mm. Uh, it doesn't have the, tr- the classic uh, use, how, not who done it, but how done it. Yeah. Uh, how's he going to catch him? In fact, it's Robert Vaughan who you think is the killer at the beginning. He's already been the killer in something called Troubled Waters. Yeah. So you think it's him, but then he gets killed. And in the end, it's almost like a, an Agatha Christie. And there we have another prisoner connection. Troubled Waters? No, the repetition on the, the returning actors playing different roles. <laughs> which is another lovely prisoner connection. Well, yeah, I'll, well we'll take that. Yeah, we'll take also, it whatever we can get. And also Robert Vaughan, of course, ITC actor. Indeed. The Protectors. protectors. I never liked the protectors. I like the theme tune. Yeah, <laughs> having news in alleyways. And of course, the man from Uncle. I, yes. they, they started yes. showing that again on TCM. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, there was one uh, the other day when um, Kiriakin gets into a fight in the middle of a beat poem. <laughs> He's pretending to be an artist with yeah. a classic. He's like the the guy from the producers with a sort of big badge yeah. around his p- a turtleneck thing. A bull haircut. Yeah. yeah, and he's in the middle of this beat poem. He's fighting these guys, and the, everyone watching in the cafe yeah. with the huge mugs of coffee think it's all part of a, yeah. a happening. David McCallum's father, of course, was the uh, conductor on the for the orchestra in Day in the Life, the Beatles song. I did not know that. Yeah. Listeners, you must be spoiled by this trivia. <laughs> I'm guessing a few Beatles fans knew that. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. People sitting there going, 
I knew that. <laughs> More power to you. Exactly. But yes, it's a an odd episode. Mm. This it was possibly going to be the last one. They sort of, sort of like, when you watch the sting, there's mm. a sort of are you ready to retire yet? Or are you ready, are you going to go now, Lieutenant? Not quite yet. Not quite yet. This all <laughs> set up as a maybe because I think the negotiations were starting to sort of mm. <laughs> turn into gunfights. Yeah. But it. You ask a lot of like Columbo heads, yeah. what's your least favorite episode? Almost this, this is, this is in the top five. Yes, I was least. going to say this is one of the least popular ones, isn't it? It's because it doesn't do the, the what you expect it to do. Yeah, I suppose I, it's like the License to Kill, the Bond film, or the you know the Prisoner episodes. That well, no, it wasn't popular, was it? At the box office, uh, well, I like the film. It picked the wrong year to come out, didn't it? But it still doesn't follow the traditional format of the Bond films, and when you start. Playing around with it. Actually, no, weird, weirdly, it sort of does. I, I watched it. It's the first time I've seen it mm. for a start, not on TV, where everything's butchered out of it. Mm. To actually see it in widescreen with the, with the proper heads exploding. Yeah. And say, my God, this is a violent film. I've yeah. forgotten. But it has all the big set pieces. The, it the has the set pieces, but it doesn't follow the same narrative structure. What I'm saying is, when you start messing around with things... Maybe at your peril. At your peril. Sometimes they become the most popular episodes ever. Yeah. An example would be Doctor Who, the episode Blink, the one with the weeping angels, the <gasps> statues. Yes. That doesn't follow the, the proper format in terms of, you know, that's not the Doctor arriving and, you know, it encounters the problem and solves it. Mm. The Doctor's absent for the most part. It's an episode pretty much without the Doctor in. Yeah. He appears in kind of flashback kind of video sequences and he appears at the end but it's carried by Carrie Mulligan pre-fame pre-Oscar fame but it's it's completely outside of what you're used to with Doctor Who yet it works but maybe the the format of Doctor Who allows you to do that whereas Columbo like Jonathan Creek they follow a very similar path and the audience are, are expecting it Columbo you want to see the murder committed at the beginning. Particularly by this point, people came to it because that's what they wanted and mm. they expected it. I okay, you could say you could argue, um, do not forsake me and my darling as the prisoners. Yeah. Like what you said about the Doctor not being in it, it just reminded me of a, an Incredible Hulk episode where mm. he isn't in it. He sort of scarpers at the beginning. As obviously, it's clearly not Bill Bixby. Yeah. Shot from the back yeah. in the traditional way. And then the whole thing is about Jack Colvin. Yeah. And, he's, and he's saying, well, this is interesting, but I'm not sure I'd want yeah. it. Because your audience want, you know, that they, they want that familiarity. They want that structure that they're used to. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you get away with it. Sometimes it becomes, you know, these episodes become the most famous episodes ever because they go against the grain. Yeah, successfully. But it depends, I think, on the format. And I think Columbo, you have to have the format. Yeah, I think, I think McGuin in this case was probably pushing it a little bit because I think mm. it... You don't need to have Columbo and he said, I kind of do. Mm. You, you sort of do. It's like having making a James Bond film, but there's no killings because no. he's actually setting up a, a delicatessen in stainless steel. Just going back to Identity Crisis, I mean, the, with McGowan as director, the, he, he introduces, I know it's in the script, but there's some lovely business with Falk and the, um, the Italian, what's his name? He's like a, a fruit producer, isn't he? He's a, he's a farmer. Yeah. He's talking about farming in, in in Italy and things like that. And it's like this spy doubles up as a speechwriter, <laughs> which is bizarre. But he gets to speak in native Italian. Yeah, yeah. Well, know? that's to show off his, that, that lovely sort of spy work of his. Yeah, but I, I like the fact that scene's in there because, I, I don't know, I get the sense that McGowan's kind of like, let's see another side, another element, another dimension to the character. Uh, to, of Columbo? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he doesn't really speak, he doesn't really speak in Italian. 
No, no. I Does think it's the only. Uh, I'm trying to think Murder Under Glass. I think he might. No, 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 I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I, I think he was. He was. He was interested as a writer mm. in, in in the character more possibly than any other mm. writer. I think everyone else's the whole thing was the mechanics of the plot. Yeah, they were desperate, weren't they, to get that last kind of the big. That that's kind of almost what Columbo. It's what you remember about all all the others. Mm. And this one didn't have it. And I think, like you say, sometimes it can sort of, oh, th- that really worked. Let's veer yeah, off into yeah, yeah. So this that one. Again. Well, this one is that they retracted straight away. Well, as I mentioned Jonathan Creek, and there was an episode, I think it was the final season of Jonathan Creek, where they, uh, Jonathan Creek obviously is about the um, how the murder is committed. Yeah. You know, and of course that's the, the trick. It's like Department S, in that Department S sets up this mystery of this impossible... You know, like the like the the, the episode six days, mm. and the plane lands, and everyone's like, everyone rushes out, and they're saying, "What's the matter?" And it's like, "Yeah, sorry, we're early," and they're like, "No, you're, you're late. Six days you're late. Six days late." And that sets up the mystery, and you spend, and then like we were talking about the magic box, you know, once that mystery is unravelled, there's a sense of letdown mm. for the audience because now you know how the trick's done, and that's the same with Jonathan Creek to a certain. It, it's it's satisfying knowing how the mystery. Is is done, but, but they tried it with an episode where they showed almost Columbo style, where they showed the how it was done at the beginning and then worked backwards, like a Columbo episode, uh, yeah. and it didn't work. It was pretty poor, yeah, as 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 a Jonathan Creek episode. But you can see how Columbo has inspired Jonathan Creek, yeah, you know, and, and obviously Department S is a different kettle of fish, but there is a there's a new show out at the moment called uh, Poker Face. Oh yes, which. I can't. How are you supposed to watch this in the UK? I don't think it's out properly in the UK yet. It's on the Peacock. Yeah, but network. you've got to subscribe to that. I know. How I many know, more I channels know. can I subscribe to? But, but this is the the wonderful. I love her, Na- yeah. Natasha Leon. Now it's not a Columbo reboot, but it's it, it's it's all but name Ryan Johnson. It's, it's Columbo all but yeah. It's Ryan Johnson. Of He's knives out and yeah, yeah. Jedi, But he um, this is we talked about this before, haven't we? About you know you talking about Mark Ruffalo playing. Playing Columbo as somebody who looks like Falk, but Leon has the mannerisms naturally. Yeah. This isn't a she's not doesn't put this on her her natural, uh, you know the way she walks, the way she talks is just that she could be Peter Falk's daughter. Yes, and and she's you know what I mean. It's, it's seen, a genuine I've, performance. I've seen a trailer, and we'll, we'll put it up if you haven't mm. seen it. But uh, it just looks sensational. It's if, great. If you're, even the uh, the kind of mustard yellow yeah. font. You can tell he's he's inspired by Columbo in the in that episode, and and the, and the only difference between Poker Face and Columbo is that Natasha Leon's character has this ability, not a supernatural ability, but she has the ability to tell when people are lying. Yeah, and that's the kind of key is that you see the murder, you see it at the beginning, and the first episode has um, Adrian Brody. Oh, really? In it, yeah, and he's fantastic, and she she's solves that murder because you see the murder. It's a double murder. And then she puts the pieces together. Does it follow the same sort of format? As Columbo. So you, yeah, murder so you first, see the murder and then, and then solution. You know, who, you know who's done it? Yeah. So you, ah, I, I can't now, wait. The only difference between Pokerface and, and Columbo is that she's not a, a police officer. And then she's now on the run because the, this, this crime boss played by the magnificent Ron Perlman. Oh! Is now out to get her killed 
because of events that transpire in the pilot episode. Yeah. So you've got a little bit of the Incredible Hulk, where you've got this character <laughs> who's on the run, who's constantly going from town to town, different identities. So you can go to these towns and have an episode with guest stars, mm. and you're not confined like the Incredible Hulk. So it's it's almost like the Hulk and Columbo put together. But like you say, with the musty yellow titles and yeah, everything, yeah. it has this very 70s feel. Well, that's just, I mean, it's like this designed for us. Thank you, yeah. Ryan. It Ryan? is. It's a It's a 21st century or a 2023 Columbo. Am I saying his name right? I Ryan. think it is Ryan. Ryan? Well, it's just, just awkward in the way he spells it. Ryan, well, we'll forgive you that. Uh, I haven't Ryan. worked in education. I, you know, I've looked at names and I've thought <laughs> that's how you spell it and then you get corrected and it's like, oh. Well, how, however we're pronouncing your name, thank you, Old Stick. We you can, really, you can really see someone's it. name like John and you'll say, oh, uh, John. I, and he goes, no, it's pronounced John. Great wobbler mangrove. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving on. Yes. <laughs> well, do you know what? By this stage, we're, in, we're into the end of series five. And I think the, the producers would have thought it maybe it would have been an idea psychologically mm. as, a, as a sort of star-pleasing move to say, well, I'll tell you what, why, why don't you just do what you want to do? For this one, maybe secretly knowing that it wasn't going to work, mm. and then and then when it didn't work, they go, "Well, why don't we just go back to the way we always did it?" And so maybe there was something about that. You, you, when you've got a star like that, who is the the the, the linchpin of the entire thing, and he kind of wants to, and he's getting, he feels a straight jacketing effect of the, of the well. Let him do some. Let him. Let, we'll do an episode that isn't quite a normal episode. How about that, Peter? Would that please, please? Because McGowan wrote two episodes of. Yes, Columbo, yeah. didn't he? There was um, Ashes to Ashes, which he starred in yes, as well. Yeah, yeah. Did he direct that one? Yes, he did. And of course, McGoon would have been responsible, I think, for a lot of that sort of veering off tangent because he, even even when it wasn't his own script, he would rewrite heavily, 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 heavily. I mean, the scripts would turn up on the on the set that had bore basically no relation <laughs> to the script. And <laughs> what the hell's this? So he kind of uh, put a few nose, writerly noses out of joint. But he only wrote two episodes, is that right? I think he did, yes. Yeah. He wrote, but I think they were the later ones. Yes, Ash, Ashes to Ashes. Ashes to Ashes and Murder with Two Men. But that's many... the triple, he's the triple threat there, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, four, because he, 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 he can tap dance as well. Ah, yes. <laughs> he wrote, directed and starred in Ashes to Ashes. He did, yes. And then what was the last one he wrote? La- the last one was Murder with Too Many Notes. And that's the Billy Connolly one, isn't it? Which is the penultimate episode, yeah. which we'll get to, sadly, eventually. Okay. <laughs> but I, I just wanted to mention his... I think it's important to mention that he did also write yes, Columbo yeah, episodes. Yeah. But in fact, he was one of the very few... I think Culp showed up in... Not as a baddie. I think he showed up almost like as a, as a bit of a tribute mm. in the later shows. Obviously, as you know, um, Columbo finished. It did eventually finish. I mm. think to Peter Falk's surprise. I think he thought that at the end of It'll every go series... Forever. What, what I do is I make impossible demands. Uh, you eventually <laughs> cave... Uh, I may I, I, I become some concession and then we'll do another season yeah. and then this one is like right here are my impossible demands and they said no get stuffed we're cancelling you yeah. went, what What? I thought we were just having fun here yeah um, <laughs> so it finished and he went off to do some I mean he was doing wonderful work anyway mm. with Cassavetes mainly and stuff like The In-Laws mm. and he did a few Princess Bride oh as you wish. My God, what a wonderful <laughs> thing. I took my daughter to see that, Somerset House, yeah. 
in London where they did these screenings yeah, outside yeah. and she's never seen it and she's about 13 but the lovely guy used to come into the restaurant whenever somebody's a woman would say her age you go oh surely a mistake at Somerset House <laughs> <laughs> he's a wonderful cravat wearing old gentleman but <laughs> but no he did he was in, he was in not, some not great stuff as well he was in Vibes with Cindy Lauper Cookie with Emily Lloyd do you remember that yeah, yeah. I, I, I another watched, prisoner connection there what he ate cookies. No, Emily Lloyd is the granddaughter of Charles of Lloyd Pack. Of course, of course. Who was in The General. Yes, indeed. I forgot about that one. Because I was madly in love with Emily Lloyd, you see. So yeah. when I, when I, that was a sort of big American debut following Wish You Were Here. It wasn't very good. He did um, He did a, almost like a, a precy to Jurassic Park, didn't he, with uh, The Lost World. Like a both star. I remember that, yeah. for the BBC. Yeah, he was like, it was the BBC. It was the BBC. It was like yeah. a, a Bob Hoskins... Yes, that's As, right. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, what was it? No, it's not. And James it. Fox was in it as well. That was the yeah. It was two years after the Jurassic Park sort of technology. It's like yeah. BBC. We're going to do the same thing, but much less impressively. <laughs> 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 and they got him in to do that. But oh, no, I, no, not Jurassic Park. I'm thinking of uh, Walking with Dinosaurs, aren't I? Yes. Yeah, it was around about that time. There was that awful CGI. I, I was going to say, even, even that, oh, it's, can you can imagine watching that and thinking, this is so good, we should turn this into a drama. Yeah. And then within sort of six months looking back and going, my God, this looks dreadful. <laughs> oh, my God, my kid could do better stuff than this. My school computer. Yeah, it's it's funny because, you know, looking at his um, his IMDb listings, there's nothing really that stands out. The, obviously, The Princess Bride well, stands out. The other, I mean, the other, he was in the, possibly one of the greatest films of the 1980s, Wings of Desire. I was going to say The Great Muppet Caper. <laughs> oh, my, hang on, hang on, we've got to talk. That is the, one of the best cameos in any film ever. <laughs> Let me tell you about that glass slipper, my friend. And it just comes up with this, and it's just absolutely perfect. And he also turns up in the video for Ghostbusters. Does he? Yeah. As, as, how and why? He just appears. Watch the video of Ghostbusters. I will. I, I the Ray Parker Jr. He's in the video for Ghostbusters. <laughs> I sent you a couple of weeks ago this like channel advert, wasn't it? There's all these actors against green screen and it puts them on a beach. Yeah. And they're all singing Let It Be. Well, that, was, I, that was the strangest thing I've ever seen in my life. But, Peter Falk in a jumper. Yeah, but it was almost like he died. Because <laughs> there was something about the way he was shot. He looked like it was quite... A, celestial. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was the, uh, you know, when the the ferry disaster, uh, was it the Zabrugga ferry disaster, disaster and Paul McCartney recorded uh, Let It Be again with all the... Yeah, with, yeah. It's like that version of Let It Be, but it's like people like um, but I, Peter Falk and Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. And <laughs> I thought it was like a, an 80s, like it was a something for advertising an 80s TV yeah. channel because Steve Guttenberg's on there. Yeah. Corbin Burns. Yeah, it's all these the, stars the from the hell 80s have you sent them. me? <laughs> it's amazing. I know, it's amazing, but it's just like, what the hell is going on? But he just, yeah, he was and then, like... And then up pops Peter Falk. Yeah, the king of cameos. <laughs> he is. I, I, he should have got a Best Sporting Actor nomination for The Great Muppet Caper. But it's a shame because, yeah, he, Cookie was relatively successful, wasn't it, in the late 80s? I think by, I think by the, eight, the end of the 80s, it was... Um, he, he kind of realised he was... His, he was getting, he was cracking on a little bit mm. anyway, wasn't he? Mm. But then they decided to bring it back. Mm. Uh, it was ABC this time, not NBC. I, no, I'm, my knowledge of these things isn't, uh, collo- I don't really know the, the difference really, but they brought it back. And um, very. F- I'm trying to think of any other actors that would have come back. Culp did a, 
more of a sort of a, a nod, nod and a wink yeah. that, from the originals. Um, who asked it? And of course, Cole, yeah, he was one of the, the big returnees, wasn't he? Cole, the... Cole was one of the, it, was, it was him, Jack Cassidy. Jack Cassidy. Who, Father of... Uh, David. Sean and David. I didn't know anything about Sean. Oh, do you not remember the Hardy Boys? No. Yeah, the Hardy Boy Mysteries. Was Did we get that? Yeah, I remember watching that as a kid. No, I don't know. Maybe I was on a different ITV mm. variation than you. But yeah, David uh, Partridge family, Cassidy. Because, yeah. my God, Jack Cassidy. Jack Cassidy has this... He, <laughs> Wonderful slimy quality about him. He's, apparently, he was a bit of a character. I well, mate, yeah, I've, yeah. I've his yeah. yeah if, you, if you do, if you Google his uh, private life, bit of a character. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he. Uh, yes, he's a, it, it would have made an interesting biography yeah. had, he, had he not accidentally set fire to his own house. I think yeah, very, it? very sad. Oh. Very sad. But his, he, he's quite possibly the the, the proto. Another process, the, the ultimate hmm. Columbo villain, I think, Cassidy. But Colt was one. And probably Magoo and the other. The thing, Cassidy always seemed to play himself. I think hmm. he even played a writer twice. Yeah, the, one of the first episodes he plays a writer. The he? Murdered by the book. One. Yeah, yeah, Spielberg one. Yeah. And then in another one, he plays a writer who, I think he kills Mickey Spillane. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one, of course, the, one of my favourite ever yeah. uh, mentioned before, now you see him, he's a magician. With this wonderful, horrible walk through the board. Yeah. And it would be a great night to go there. But he was always kind of playing the same part. Colt, uh, kind of slightly same part, but different moustache. Yeah. But McGoon was just a different part each time. Well, in Identity Crisis, he plays a couple of yeah. roles, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he, does. he plays, um, I've forgotten the name of the character now, but he oh, plays the old guy. The old guy. And when the, what is one of the funniest things, it's almost like something out of Police Squad, <laughs> which is quite a nice link considering yeah. Leslie Nielsen's in it. It's like the, the guy doing the. Description of the, 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 the <laughs> and he's like, no, the eyes are wrong, and, like, and he just turns around. And it's like it's just Magooan. <laughs> it's like you got him spot on just from describing him. And no police artist is that good. <laughs> it's like someone's someone taken his press photo, and traced over it, and just wax big yeah. nose on there. It's not pretty, Frank. Yeah, there's no, a lovely scene ugly. actually in uh, uh, Identity Crisis where uh, Colombo just gets completely enamoured by Belly Dancer. It's her eyes. Yeah, it's just like just like it just hangs on him uncomfortably, just a bit too long. But I think that was that was something McGowan loved. You know, that was yeah. his choice to direct. Well, let's, well, we've got a belly dancer in the scene. Let's 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 put let's, some. Let's have Columbo react because it makes him more human. Yeah, let's have some business. Yes, some business there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe he's just happy to be in a in a bar. So what other episodes do we have to look at there? Well, yeah, once it came back, mm. it, it's, I mean, I've got to be honest, they, they weren't as good, uh, the episodes. That, and, and the, 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 I still think of them as new. It's mm. like Ronnie Wood being the new kid in Rolling Stones. <laughs> they just they don't work in anything like the same way that they do originally. It's, it's almost like he's having a bit too much fun. Mm. A lot of the guest stars are nowhere near in the same league. I mean, one of the, it, was such a, it was a bit like Batman. When some of the biggest actors in the world used to turn up, there was a badge of honour to be a, yeah. a villain. They'd have to make up villains. They didn't have enough. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, who was it? Cliff Robertson playing Shame the Cowboy and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But was, some of the guys on this, so you've no idea the hell they are. Uh, I think, I mean, George Hamilton was a returnee. He was a, he was a, he was a baddie in the 70s one. He was a, a, t, a 
TV producer. No, one, a, a true life crime guy. Mm. Uh, and there's quite a good gotcha with that involving sort of a dog with only three claws. <laughs> um, but I think that apart from Hamilton, I could be wrong about this, but I think the only other attorney was Patrick McGowan. Mm. And he um, he did, th- well, he, d- he uh, reappeared twice, but uh, directed yes. uh, another one. But the one he returned in, I think, is possibly the only one from the, s- the second batch that might scrape into my top ten, which was Agenda for Murder. Okay. And that was 1990, wasn't it? Was it 1990? Mm -hmm. That seems about right. So it had already been on a year that... I mean, the the second one, with Fisher Stevens, he of the very dubious uh, Indian sort of doctor, because of course he's not (laughs) Indian, from Short Circuit and one and two. Uh, He's the buddy, and it's this this terrible sort of thing where they they start sort of... Talk about, like, saying, going off off the tracks a little Mm. bit. They start having... Almost the hallucinogenic scenes and yeah. sort of uh, sort of interpretative. It's just kind of, no, 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 no. Yeah. Stop playing with this. There's a terrible one where where he 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 starts getting hypnotized and having dream sequences, and this it's just awful. Agenda for murder is a beaut. Mm. It's got a really good gotcha that yeah. Peter Falk kind of came up from himself from reading a magazine about sort of bite marks in in forensic uh, crime. Mm. Um, but McGowan is ace. Yeah. He's a crooked uh, senator uh, who's, who's about to go up to the big leagues. Yeah. Uh, but he's off to somebody. <laughs> and he is um, just, he's just absolutely wonderful. And again, they've got that brilliant sort of chemistry. Yeah. There's a fantastic, and again, these amazing line readings. Yeah. Of, <laughs> there's, there's one scene where he, he, tells, he, he, he tells Patrick McGowan a joke. Can I tell you a joke? It's... Uh, I think the joke is about somebody doing some flashing, and the guy yeah. says, and she says, "Call that a lining," <laughs> and he just stands there with his, his pop-eyed thing for about some ten seconds yeah. before going, ah! <laughs> 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 and this, uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's one, it's, it's mm. one of the very best episodes which he directed. Yeah. So, and it was, a lo- it was lovely to see them in a way, sort of coming back together. Yeah. And there was a sense that if it was ever sort of, oh, I was just running out of ideas or I've done, some of these aren't really up to Pat. I know who I'll call. Yeah. I'll give Pat, Pat, Pat McGoo. Here's, here's interesting for you. How many actors appeared in both The Prisoner uh-huh. and Columbo? Mm. Oh. I, I know they don't I, have to be credited, but they, they did appear. I know you're going to know the exact number. I'm going, to, I'm going to take a pot shot and say 12. Do you know what? You're one off. Oh, God damn it! There were 11 actors. Oh, one year out. In both The Prisoner and Columbo. So I'll go, obviously, Magoon. There was Pauline Chamberlain, who also appeared in Thunderball. You might know her from Thunderball. Yes, yes. There was Guy Standeven. Who was he? he? He was an actor. He was in things like Softly, Softly. Harry Warren, Anne Barras. Victor Harrington, Jack Armstrong, Mabel Etherington, Emile Stemmler, <laughs> Charles <up>? Gillard. <laughs> no, no, no. And of course, Aubrey Morris. Uh, well, of course, a lot of these actors were in the season two episode of Columbo, Dagger of the Mind, the one that everyone knows as the one set in London. Yes. An old the, London. Old foggy <laughs> London town. It's, uh, it's not my favourite episode, that at all. And of course, Aubrey Morris... Was, ah. was in Ashes to Ashes, ah. which was uh, which starred McGowan and uh, was directed by McGowan. And yes, uh, with Catherine McGowan. Yeah, it was nineteen ninety eight. It was a McGowan fest, which seems really late. Yeah, it seems to sort of ninety. Yeah, that's nearly into 
But in fact, that was the penultimate, or that was nearly the penultimate episode. In fact, it, 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 there was a, they made another one straight afterwards, mm. uh, which McGowan wrote and directed. And it was, yeah, co-starring Chad Willett, the, the lovely Chad Willett, mm. who, uh, who got in contact. Well, I contacted him and he got he <laughs> contacted me back, which isn't, that's not usually the way it works. Yeah. Usually I contact them and that's the end of that. Yeah. Uh, but bless you, Chad. But it it didn't really work. But there was something about the way he was talking about them being, you know, McGowan was in famously poor health. Mm. And there's talk in the Shooting Columbo book that he got a little bit short with Billy Connolly cause for turning up drunk, mm. which I found odd because I'm sure by that point he, he'd given up. Do you remember he used to advertise Calibre? Yes. That vile... <laughs> calibre! Uh, you know, nothing gets between me and my Calibre. And he sort of takes his beard <laughs> yeah. off. I think that was the... It's the most sickening mm. for university commons beer. I'm sure he'd given up by that point anyway. But yeah. it's this the idea that the, it, it's almost reminds me of the shootist. Do you remember the shootist mm. with John Wayne? And Jimmy Stewart pops in. And it's almost like we know this is going to be the last of it. I think yeah. Wayne knew he was dying. And it's sort of the last hurrah. And I, I kind of, my, my, my distaste for this episode sort of turned into a bit of. <laughs> A little bit yeah. of sentimentality. You think actually these are two old war horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's coming to the end. Who, 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 who my dependable pals to get to get us through the last few. I'm gonna get Pat. <laughs> Pat's gonna help me with this. And the last like, roundup. And it was the last roundup after murder with too many notes, which was actually a bit more of a hit than they expected. Mm. They made this god awful last one. Columbo likes the nightlife, which is shot. <laughs> oh, hasn't it got Matthew Reese in it? It is Matthew mm. Reese is the uh, as is like he's about twenty, and he's the last ever Columbo villain. Well, what, he, I mean, what an accolade! I know he never, he never seems to bring that up. Yeah, I would, but maybe because the episode is so terrible. Yeah. It's it's like a come. It's they, they they've. It's like the producers threw it on the table and gave it to the, this twenty-one-year-old wonder kid who's just done a. Britney Spears video. Yeah. I want you to reinvent Columbo, and it's, it looks like a half-assed episode of NYPD Blue. Yeah. The, the titles, are, every, everything about it is wrong, and the period between Murder with Too Many Notes and um, uh, the last one is so long that Peter Fox seems to age about twenty years. Yeah, he looks quite frail, doesn't he, in the in the final episode? And I and he, he, I think he was he was kind of. Yeah. Two steps towards the boneyard by that point. So it was an inauspicious end. It would have been nice if it had a, Ashes to Ashes would have been a good one to end mm. on, actually. A, to have ended with a Magoon, mm. but also because there's a lovely sort of, there is a nice gotcha over there involving a sort of a bit of a, a bit of a metallic joint in an yeah. urn. But, and, it, and, it, and, it, this, this, and again, you see that lovely chemistry. It's always just, it was always wonderful to watch yeah. Falk and Magoon. It was like, like watching a proper double act, even though. One of the acts is a different person each time. Yeah. Another Columbo fact. Did you know there was a spin-off made from Columbo? Oh, Mrs. Columbo. Well, I've, I've been trying to find out about this. This is Kate Mulgrew. Yeah. Playing someone 20 years before <laughs> Junior. So I don't know if it was his wife. Well, maybe it was just in name only or something. I, I don't it's know. It's a weird thing. Is it a spin-off? Is it? I, I, I've seen the titles, yeah. but I can't. That's all I can see. But it doesn't tell you that it's... There's no, there's no picture of Peter Falk next to the bed. No, but I've seen there. information where it says it's a spin-off, where it's not. Some people say no, it's nothing to do with it. I think it's the kind of thing that everyone, even people who weren't involved in it, mm. want to vanish so much mm. that they're prepared to imagine that it never happened. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> it's like this body buried in the back at back lot at NBC. Yeah, so, oh, don't talk about that. Please don't mention that. 
awful program. I, I've no, I, I still have no idea what happened. No, the whole uh, one of the greatest things about the whole thing that you never saw Mrs. Columbo to the point where you, you don't want to. No, but it's like knowing his name as well, isn't it? Yeah, and it's not Frank, isn't it? It's not. No, why? Because it isn't. He has another <laughs> name. There's the other prisoner link. It's just riddled with them. It is, isn't it? <laughs> a, a man identified only by Columbo. We, he, the first name. I know. I think there's one episode where you kind of see it on his uh, badge, on a badge. Or but like. yeah, it's better the fact that he that it is a mystery. Yeah, that you, like she is a mystery. It adds more depth and layers to the character, and I, and I think McGowan would have appreciated that as well. Very much so. Yeah. And one person who I know appreciates Columbo even more than us is the author Mark Davisiak, in common with Chad Willett. He very gamely got back to us <laughs> after we approached him. Uh, uh, Mark is the he wrote the probably the first mm. great book about Columbo, the Columbo file, and it's wonderful because of course by that point uh, Peter Falk was still around. They yeah. were just about to start the second round, so he had extensive meetings. So he got to know Peter Falk quite well, and we were delighted to chat with him about the Magoo connection with Columbo. Mark, thank you for joining us. Hi guys, always fun to talk Columbo. Thank you very much indeed for coming on the show. Um, My pleasure. Because uh, obviously we've uh, we've concentrated very much on on uh, on the prisoner McGowan's great Magnus Opus, mm-hmm. but in a, in a way his kind of second life, perhaps the most important part of that, I think may well have been his Columbo Association. I, I, I guess if you um, separate Danger Man from uh, uh, from the prisoner, and most people don't, I, I think. McGowan fans tend to look at that as a continuation and part of the, uh, you know, like like a almost a, a breaking bad into better call Saul type of uh, of a world. It's different, but it's the same in some ways. Yes, I'd, I'd say, you know, Columbo is uh, is definitely the the, the sidetrack. Yeah, because he did. I think more more than any other uh, associate of, of Fox. I think Clumber, uh, Magoon did more. I think he was. He's, yeah. I, 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 you, now, now you're going to make me consult my own book here. You know? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, according to this splendid book here, the Columbo File, a case book. Uh, no, he was a villain four times, wasn't he? And he directed three. Uh, but and also he he went across both Columbo eras, which very few other people did. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He's uh, he he played a murderer. Now uh, you know Shatner did too. William Shatner played a murderer on both ends. Yes, um, yes. You know that it's he, he and and there are people who appeared in both. Dabney Coleman has a supporting part in the first part and then comes back. Robert Culp is a murderer three times mm. in the original and then comes back and isn't another one. But he's not the murderer. Uh, you know, McGowan uh, sets the record for for playing a murderer, and uh, he's also directing in both iterations of Columbo. So yes, that's. That's very much the case, but you know that's it. Really comes down to the fact that one word, uh, yeah. It, it always it always comes down to one word with Peter. It always did, and that's trust. You know that was true in my case. It took forever to earn his trust and get him to agree to do an interview and cooperate with the book. Peter gave his trust very slowly. You really had to earn his trust, and once you had it, you had it totally. And then he trusted you, you know, completely. Once you were allowed in, you were in. But getting in could be tough. I mean, this is a, the the best story for that, and it's not mine, although I I, I use it in the book. Is the two uh, guys who created Columbo, uh, Dick Levinson and Bill Link, they were persuaded by Universal to be the producers for the first season of Columbo, and um, they had written the original story, Prescription Murder. 
that Peter had done, and it was aired in 68. And then they came up with a story for the second pilot, which was a ransom for a dead man. And then it, they convinced them to be the producers. And they'd never done, been produced. They were writers. And the first year of Columbo was absolute hell. Uh, you know, and one of the reasons was Peter was so notoriously difficult. You know, Richard Irving, who was the executive in charge of a television at Universal and had directed the first two movies, he quite rightly said Peter is not really a TV star. You know, he's a... All of his thinking is theater and film, where there's endless amount of time to rehearse, reshoot, get it right. And television just doesn't do it that way. Television, at least American television, doesn't do it that way. American television does it on the run. Mm. And uh, that was not Peter's mindset, you know, not at all. So the first here you have these two novice producers trying to get a show done. And then they they liked what they were seeing. And the network asked for yet another episode to be added. And, and they were on a time frame because Peter was about to leave to go to Broadway to do Prisoner Second Avenue, the Neil Simon play. So they're under a time crunch. And halfway through the season, Peter's calling in sick because the studio had uh, had had promised him to make a direct and then they were going to go back on it. So Peter is is delaying things. It's headaches. And with Peter, it was constant arguments. That whole first season was nothing but arguments with them. And Levinson and Luke couldn't, couldn't wait for that season to be over. They just couldn't wait to get out. They said when, when the season was over, it felt like getting out of jail. And they were packing up their, their, their stuff They're in the, in the Colombo production office. They were going to hand it over to Dean Hargrove as the new uh, producer who had um, produced and written the script for Ransom for a Dead Man. And Peter stopped by and he said, what are you doing? And they said, we're packing up. We're leaving. We're, we're, we're done. We've, we've done our season. Our commitment's over. And Peter looked at them and he said, uh, I don't want you to leave. And they were flabbergasted. Their mouths were hanging open. It's like, what do you mean you don't want us to leave? All Peter, all we've done is fight this whole time. Why in the world would you want us to stay? And Peter looked at him and said, because now I trust you. That was Peter. (laughs) (laughs) So what we're getting around to is he bonded with Patrick McGowan very quickly. And he trusted Patrick McGowan uh, like he only trusted a very few people in the inner circle. So and and that all because of, of, of by dawn's early light. It really that is the the moment. They really didn't know each other very well before that. McGowan had been hired to play the commandant of the military school. And um, they were going to they shot it on location at the Citadel in in South Carolina. They were both on the same plane. They were not sitting together, but they were both on the same plane heading for Carolina. And Peter went over to where Patrick McGowan was sitting and said, what do you think of the script? And McGowan thought it needed work. And Peter agreed. So they worked on things together. Their work processes were the same. They were they they liked experimenting. They liked shaking things up. They liked doing things differently. They liked uh, improvisation. They liked surprising each other and improvising. Their process was was very, very close to each other. They probably drove the, uh, it's probably a good thing that that episode was shot on location because if the universal executives had actually seen how they were working together, they probably would have torn their hair out. Um, you know, because it was bad and Peter was bad enough. There's a quote in, this, quote in your this this magnificent book. Yeah, Peter fought every inch of the way for quality, uh, said McGowan. Like you say, being a rebel and maybe changing things around. Isn't that a little bit what he encouraged folk to do 
with shows like episodes like our density crisis and particularly last salute to the commodore when he was kind oh, of yeah, like, yeah. well i i don't know that you know the i think sometimes i think the only people who loved last salute to the commodore were peter and patrick <laughs> uh, <laughs> me I, okay, you know, I was going to say, you, you gave it a big thumbs up. I, I, Columbo fans tend to hate that episode. They yeah. really tend to, and they hate that episode for all the reasons that Peter and Patrick and uh, and, and, and Dick Levinson and Bill Link, who were really, you know, uh, traditionalists when it came to Columbo. They, you know, basically like, you know, there are rules and you follow the rules. Mm-hmm. And then Les Luthor, the Commodore breaks every rule there is possibly yeah. in the Columbo universe. You know, the character is at its most eccentric in in that, you know, uh, it almost seems like Columbo is, you know, is on drugs in that episode. <laughs> uh, you know, there there's uh, it, the, the humor is very, very antic in that episode. They, they give him the two sidekicks. It's structured as a traditional British uh, drawing room mystery mm-hmm. instead of the traditional Columbo. You know, it, it breaks. It, it makes you think you're following the Columbo formula. And then all of a sudden. The guy you think did it turns up dead. And um, I love the episode. I've always loved that episode. And the, I think the Columbo fans sort of forgive me my eccentricity in, in stating my my love of that episode. <laughs> you know, and, and you also have to remember that episode was somewhat designed as being a finale, just in case there was not going to be, you know, Columbo was a you know, 50-50 proposition to come back. It has sort of the perfect last scene it has the perfect it's, ending peter uh, uh, sails off into the sunset or tries he, he lights his cigar he's thinking about giving it up and then he says not yet not yeah. yet sergeant not yet and then he gets in the rowboat and he starts and he starts to you know the music comes in of this old man and he says i'm going to meet my wife you know and he's it's a perfect ending it really the series could have ended at that moment and nobody would have complained about the visual of, uh, of how it ended, you know, yes. so, you, you're right. I mean, you know, I think Peter and, and Patrick, you know, especially on Commodore basically said, why, you know, why do this? Why, why just go around the same barn all over again? Let's shake it up. Yeah. And then it, to a certain extent, identity crisis is a bit like that because he doesn't, although he kind of, he's kind of proves to him that he knows he did it. He, he's not going to jail. He's not technically getting caught. This is, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on in that episode. Oh, uh, it's almost some ways too much. Identity Crisis is is a densely packed episode. It is a bit too much fun on that one. Yeah. But I I do think there is a, you know, the the, the scenes between Peter and and, and Patrick, even more so than in By Dawn's Early Light, the scenes in Identity Crisis are just delicious. They just really, you can tell they're really enjoying each other's company. Yeah. And, and McGowan is allowing himself to do those crazy line readings. That he yes, he's going to say, I know. Yes, I know. Steinmetz, you know, he does these things where, you know, you know, dogs five blocks away can hear what he's doing, you know. It's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it's it just, it, you, you're right. I mean, he allows himself to have, you know, a, a full fun. And, and at that point, you know, like I said, after By Dawn's Early Light, Peter and Patrick were a mutual admiration society. And they truly enjoyed each other's company. And more importantly, Peter trusted him at that point. Yeah. And Patrick could do no wrong in his eyes. So, you know, I think that that's the, uh, you know, and again, that's the key. That's was always the key with Peter. Trust, trust, trust. It allowed Patrick McGowan to be uh, seen in, 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 to American audiences in a true hit. Yes. Remember, you know, in America, 
many millions more people saw him on Columbo than ever saw him on The Prisoner. Yeah, oh, yeah. And yeah. he won, I mean, that first performance, he got an Emmy, his first, yep. which was big. Yeah. And, and, and by Dawn's Early Light, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful episode. Oh. It's, it really comes off well. And, you know, one of the is, you know, he's, McGowan's playing a distinctly American character. His face is like a knuckle <laughs> because he's so taut in that in that episode. He's he is he is like a bird of prey in that episode. Almost everything McGowan does is with his eyes in that episode. You see, you know, whatever he's doing uh, is constantly he really is wonderful, you know, and 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 that you know the whole episode is, is, is done well, you know. So and I think you know one of the things is again they they work through the improvisation. I actually spoke to the actor called uh, Chad Willis, and he bless him, he wrote back and he just he said speaking about icons, working with Peter Falk was um, shortly short lived as my character was the murder victim, <laughs> but I do remember him being so so gracious to me. Uh, I was a huge fan of a woman under the influence and uh, very starstruck when shaking his hand before laying down to play dead. Uh, but he's saying Magoon was wonderful and he, he was, uh, you know, was a huge presence. But he said our time together on the set of Columbo was a bit more challenging as he was battling health issues. And uh, Billy Connolly was there to keep him <clears> right. And suddenly it sort of takes on a different palette because, I mean, that there's this, you know, the scene where they, there's, uh, oh, it's that score. Oh, the fish movie. Uh, they're playing Jaws when they say, this this guy with the greatest memory in, in in mankind's history can't remember the theme from Jaws, a <laughs> terrible scene. But then he started with thinking, well, you watch it now and you think, this is kind of the end of the run for these two guys, for Falk and Magoon. It's like you know what he's probably he probably had to call in a favour if Magoon, you know, it's like to insure an ill person. And he looks he looks frail. I mean, you know, frail and ashes to ashes, isn't he? Yeah, he does, he starts to look. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know. And, uh, you know, I, I go back to the beginning, too, with this is because, um, you know, when I wrote the the original book, when the Columbo file was was and I was researching that in the 80s, I knew I wasn't going to get to everybody. You know, you know that when you start that there's going to be people you're not going to get to. But, you know, I really, really wanted to talk to Patrick McGowan, obviously, you know. This was kind of a ballsy move. How do you get to McGowan? He was, he was you know, he was notoriously prickly. And, uh, you know, you, it, it depended on what Patrick you got on what day. You have to know he's going to be somewhere at a certain time in order to try to get the interview, you know. Well, you know, he had been in a Broadway show called Pack of Lies, and it was a flop. You know, it, it only ran, I, I, I can't remember, I think it only ran for like 14 performances. But they had put up the cancellation notice. And I was working at the Akron Beacon Journal at the time as a TV critic there. And I had read that the cancellation notice had gone up. And that the last performance was going to be, and I can't remember what it was, but I knew when the last performance was. So I know where he's got to be at a certain time. (laughs) So I called the theater, you know, and asked to be patched through to his dressing room. And they patched me through. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And Magoon answered the phone. And I, you know, I'm sitting in the middle of the newsroom at the Akron Beacon Journal you know, this is my one. I know, you know, you ain't going to get another shot. So, you know, I identified myself. Now I've got the man who is a notoriously prickly star under terrible conditions. His show <laughs> is closed. 
<laughs> and I said, you know, I, I, I know, you know, this is not the best of circumstances and the best of times, but I'm writing a book on Colombo and I really would like to talk to you about your experiences. And um, he wasn't mean, but he basically just said, you know, well, I don't know what I could tell you. And in the back of my mind, what could you tell me? But I, I decided, you know, you got to tap your inner Colombo. You cannot go away. So I was like, well, let me just ask you one question. He said, well, all right, go ahead. And then as the conversation went on, he starts to warn. And I really think he was grateful for the distraction. I think what it really happened was this was a bad time. This was a bad moment. And I was recalling really good time and a very positive subject. And then he wouldn't let me off the phone. <laughs> he just kept, you know, he just, he just warmed to the subject. And he became the most gracious. He just started talking and talking. And, and I was, you know, it became one of the best interviews in the book. You know, and it because I and again, if I had just accepted the first answer and gone away, I would have never got, you know, if I just said, well, I'm sorry. OK, click. Yeah. You know, that would have been it. I probably would have never gotten him, you know, but um, thank goodness. You know, again, you know, when you do a book, you know, when you when you do when you're researching a book, you do have to sort of channel Colombo. You know, yes. you do have to sort of you have to have that tenacity. And you have to have the ability to keep asking questions and, you know, to always have that one more thing ready to go. Yeah. He's a good role model for that. You know, he's a very good role model for that. His interviewing techniques are very good. They're very good for journalists. You know, the don't come off as too imperious and do not come off as a, you know, always, you know, make it seem like, you know, whoever you're talking to knows so much more than you do. And gee, it would be really great if you could talk to me about this. You know, I'm really trying to understand this and you can really help me understand this. You know, these are good techniques. These are wonderful techniques for interviewing. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it? Well, yeah. It's spectacular. (laughs) Patrick McGowan was a kind of Paul McCartney figure in the search of a John Lennon. And I, I think Peter Falk was, depending on which one, maybe Lennon was Falk and whoever. I don't know. I think Falk had a little Ringo in him too, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. That makes yeah, a lot of sense. As Peter Falk, as Ringo might say, uh, be seeing you. I like the fact that Mark was able to have a few words yeah. with Patrick. <laughs> I know that we never did. Uh, Just like Rob Fairclough. It's these, these kind of like these little moments where they, they briefly just I had just, that conversation. I, yeah, I, yeah. It's out of arm's length. But I've still got that sort of... I, I was in the... Even, you know, I went, it's, when I went to see Bob Dylan mm. in concert and, of course, it's, it's never going to be the great thing. But I, for the rest of my life, I was in the same room as it was. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? It's yeah. the same. I bet Rob Fairclough is just like I. I spoke to him yeah. every now and then. He'll still just remember that he spoke to Patrick. I bet he's kicking himself. Patrick. <laughs> Patrick. Who? <laughs> <laughs> but that uh, that about wraps it up, old stick. Yeah, I, I would argue that 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 even though it's not his mm. uh, his his car that he's driving, I'd say that this is the other great work that mm. McGowan is associated with. And I think he played. You know, more more than he didn't just show up. Mm. He had he had a he had a very sort of high impactful uh, role mm. in Colombo. I think he steered it into create into, into interesting territories. Mm. And I think I think you obviously the prisoner will be his thing, mm. danger man as well. But I think this 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 is a, a, either a nice second or third. Mm. I think it's wonderful. I think it was nice to see him having fun. 
Yes. And it's yes. also nice to see him as an actor, as as the really good actor that he is. Because all the parts he play uh, he plays are very, very different. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's just lovely to see this warm... It's the coat hanger, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The coat hanger that he draws in in my mind, mm. the Chris Rodley documentary. Yes. He draws the, the coat hanger on the beach. And in Fallout, when we see the mannequin, we have all those swinging coat hangers. Yeah. You know, it's the it's a metaphor for the actor. And he gets to be all these characters throughout his career. Mm. And he revels in them and he plays something different each time. There's little callbacks. But Nelson Brenner and Number Six share so much in common. I wonder in the back of my mind, was McGowan playing Number Six in that episode? Yeah. I know the accent's different, but then you can argue John Drake's accent was different to Number Six as well. And you get all these people saying John Drake is Number Six. Well, by that logic, then so could Nelson Brenner. Indeed. But we know it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but it's nice, though, isn't it? You you can choose to have that connection. You can say, actually, this is what happened when he left the village. Mm. He moved to the States, uh, <laughs> worked for the CIA. Okay. Who gave him a hydrophonics uh, state yeah, system. Yeah, hydrophonic state-of-the-art sound system. Perfect. Gave him some Asian manservants. <laughs> set him up as a, as a speech writer. <laughs> hang, out, hang out with, uh, with, with Leslie Frank Nielsen. Trevin. Yeah. Frank <laughs> Well, you know, you can choose to look at it that way. You know, I do not. I'm going to choose to look at it that uh, yeah, way. Yeah, someone of number six, say we take the um, you know allegory out of, of the prisoner. What would a spy have done after? You know, he, he had a passport to go anywhere. Yeah. He had money and he had his freedom, and he, which he took and he went. You can have almost as much fun taking the allegory out of the prisoner as you can sort of reading Putting into it. In. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you would choose not to ignore the allegory of the prisoner, yeah, maybe he went to the States and worked for the CIA. Maybe his name all along was Nelson Brenner. Yeah, I think you know. It's unlikely, but I think we, I think, can... we, I think we cracked it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. Thank you very much indeed for listening, everybody. Uh, thank you very much indeed to Mark Deviziat for getting, for talking to us. Thanks for Chad Willett as well. Bless you. Mm. Thanks, Chad. And uh, and thank you all again. We'll be, uh, we'll meet again. I don't know where. Don't know when. We've got a few ideas, haven't we? We have. We, we want to go to Port Marion and do an episode of Port Marion. We do want to go to Port Marion. I think uh, that that would be nice. We'll try and work it out so that we'll leave little clues in uh, Twitter, <laughs> little dotted around, so that we'll we, maybe you can work out if you could you could be a Port Marion there as well. You'll end up on the podcast mm. like you've won a competition or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, until then, thank you very much indeed. Lovely to hear from you again. You can find us on Twitter at Free For All Pod or on Facebook at Podcast Free For All.